Let's pray. Father, today in this place where we gather in your name, Lord, let it not be the case that we leave untouched. We've heard a message this morning from Tim, which is one of reinvigorating that sense of awe, that sense of romance, that sense of freshness with you, to to be inspired by you, to be empowered, to see again the the magnificent truth, to, to, to see kingdom and understand and feel kingdom presence, kingdom power, kingdom glory, which is the king, which is you. Today, when we just focus in on this little boat that's rowing across this middle of a lake that's a gazillion miles away. It's almost exactly on the opposite side of the world from Toowoomba, Australia. It seems strange that out of all the things that we might pick to draw near to you from a human perspective, it would not be that one. And yet here we are, 2,000 years after that event was recorded, still looking, still studying, still examining, still trying, Lord, to reach out to you. And I just pray, Lord, in this little church here of Willowburn, I feel very strongly that we are like those rowers in the middle of that little lake, that Sea of Galilee, rowing, rowing, rowing. The wind's against us. Our muscles are straining. Our our hands are blistered. We look for you. You're not in the boat. We look around at each other and all we see is strain and stress and and we think, are we ever going to get through this? And, And what are we doing here anyway? And yet, in that moment, there is a plan. There's a moment of inspiration and everything changes. Everything. And so I pray for us today, Lord even if it is the afterglow, 2,000 year afterglow, that Lord, that glow would seep into our hearts, would inspire us, would fire us up. Oh Lord, the time is short. Help us Lord to be inspired today in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is our third deep water series. So we've been thinking about this concept, this guiding metaphor of deep water. The idea being that God sometimes or many times wants us out in the deep water, away from our land-based dependencies where everything's comfortable and we can kind of just walk around. We know how the laws of physics work on land. We know that we can walk, we can jump, we can throw, we can do all those. And then suddenly you're in the water, and in the water, everything's different. Everything's different. So today, we are part three. Part one was, do you want to remember, was put out. When Jesus told the disciples to go out in the deep water and have a magnificent catch. The second one was call out where they suddenly found themselves in a different circumstance in deep water. The boat was going down. You can hear all of them online. And then this week is step out. And I've probably already given it away a little bit with, uh, with my prayer. But this is about a little boat that's rowing out into the ocean. Well, it's not an ocean. It's the Sea of Galilee, but it might as well have been. And something amazing happens. A miracle happens. Uh, This picture up here, I love it because it's kind of the perspective of, obviously going to talk about Peter looking up. I remember sharing this with someone, Marcelo Martin actually, and he cried when he saw it and it's really spoke to him. And it is quite a powerful picture, isn't it? 
there's Jesus. You can see his feet on top of the water. It's from the perspective of Peter looking up and here he is. And there's a slight smile on his face. I think that actually does suit the text. We'll see. It's beautiful. Deep water miracle. So here we are uh, in out of your depth dependency, the deep water kind of sermon. We want to try and think about what it means to put aside our dependencies, perhaps on money, on strength, on the world's wisdom, on all the things that the world would say you should be depending on and go, what does Jesus want us to depend on? Why is he so insistent that you need to get out in the deep water? And sometimes it feels like, and he probably does, he's thrown us there deliberately. That's what we're talking about today. Now, before we do that, where'd Paxton go? Where's my Batman mini? I need you, Paxton, because today we're going to be talking about rowing. So what I'm going to do, I brought my rowing machine in today. The Sea of Galilee is the Lake of Galilee, the Lake of Tiberias, etc. And it's about... 10, 11, 12 k's wide, it obviously varies a little bit. It's actually heart-shaped, like a real heart. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to put, uh, well, let's put 10,000 metres on here. 10,000 metres. So you don't have to if you don't want to, mate. You don't have to. But you did such a good job before. Paxton practised before. Um, I've shown him the right technique. It's all about the technique with this machine. So Paxton, can you, can you see up here? So you've got your 10,000. So you remember what I showed you before? If you put your feet in here. It's going to be a lot easier. Now, remember how I said push off with your legs because they're the biggest muscles in your body around your kind of back of your legs and your butt. And then you're going to pull with your arms. Okay, so you ready? I'm going to help you a bit just to get that thing going. Here we go. Good. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, there we go. All right, so now it's counting down. All right, awesome. So I want you to keep doing that for the rest of the sermon, please. Go, Now, we've had a whole bunch of today, if you remember nothing else. But today, if you remember nothing else, I want you to remember these two apparently paradoxical concepts. One is rest, and the next is steadfastness, which I get from Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Steadfastness. Rest and steadfastness. All right? Rest and steadfastness. Can you remember that with me? Rest and steadfastness. So if your life is a boat, if your life is a boat, are you a rowing, a rowboat, just sort of rowing along, trying to get into that head? We know you're a speedboat powering across or a sailboat scooting. So we went to a bit of a survey. Thank you for everyone that contributed. We had 42 people look at it and only 10 people actually answer. So thank you, Ray, for the 10 that did answer. But most people were the rowboat, slowly rowing into a headwind, just like poor old Paxton here. How you going, mate? All right, so, <laughs> so, so when we see that maybe flagging a little bit, maybe we can work on our technique because if we're getting tired, we probably need to work on our technique. There's, there's probably something we can do better here. So, all right, what we'll do, Paxton, now I notice you're just wasting a lot of energy. Did you know that? Yeah, right. So what you need to do is as you're coming forward, keep your arms straight, keep your arms straight. That's it. Now pull to the chest. Good. Yeah. So that's a lot better, isn't it? Now try that. (laughs) So keep doing that. So we could perhaps, you know, if we're getting tired, we could look at technique and so forth. Um, But back to this little concept, this little metaphor is, I mean, for the people that didn't answer, who here, which one would you be? What are you, Tiff? Oh, you already answered. Taylor, what are you? A what? A rowboat. Are most people a rowboat? 
Cool, that's what I thought. I thought I was a robot. Here's a whole bunch of other people not going anywhere, doing a whole bunch of exercise. Um, and this was gonna be my little cue to bring Paxton up. So keep going, Paxton. So while Paxton's doing that, can we just turn to Matthew 14, verse 22? Let me know when you want a break, mate, because one of the things... What's that? Never. <laughs> Never. Awesome. So we're going to learn about another boat from Matthew 14. We will, however, because this account is recorded in Matthew, Mark and John, it's not in Luke, we will jump around a little bit, but we'll kind of just stay at Matthew 14. And at verse 22, we read there that immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So they get into the boat and they start rowing, all 12 of them, and the wind is against them. Uh, so they just keep going, keep rowing, row, row, row. Just like we've got here with Paxton doing a magnificent job. How many metres, mate? Can you read those metres? Okay, you, you, you've gone about 400 metres. Keep going, mate. Fair way to go. 9,500 to go. So you're about 500 metres off the shore now. So let's pretend the disciples are about 500 metres off the shore. But before we go there, let's go. Um, Jesus says, is everyone there? Matthew 14, 22. Immediately. What's that, what's that mean? Like, there's sort of this... Hurry, guys, go, 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 go. Well, what's happening there is that in the Gospel of John, he tells us that the crowd, after Jesus has fed the 5,000, are going to come and make Jesus king, whether he likes it or not. So he's gone, get out of here. That's not my plan, go. He then takes care of sort of dismissing the crowd, um, telling them they can go, and then he retires up to a mountain while everyone else is rowing across the lake. And it's important to keep that in mind. But we need to actually go a bit further back and go, okay, what's just happened? Well, he's just fed the 5,000, which would have probably been 15,000 people. He's fed them with five loaves of bread and two fish, an amazing miracle that the bread just keeps coming out, the fish just keeps multiplying somehow. And all these people are so full that they actually gather a lot of leftovers. If we want to know what's going on here, though, we need to know why they're there in the first place, why they're there feeding the 5,000. If we go to Mark, just probably don't go there, I'll just read it to you, but if we go to Mark, he tells us. So just before they decide to go over, how's he going? All right, mate, you're doing very well. Can you read the, can he read? Can he? Oh, can you read the metres? It's the top left one. No, what's that? Nine. Nine. Nine, three, six, three. You're doing pretty well, mate. So, so there's 700 metres off. So anyway, back in Mark, Jesus says, uh, as all the apostles come back to him, remember he sent them out. He's going, don't take a staff, just go, go and preach. You know, if you come to a village and there's a person of peace there, stay with them. So they've gone out and then they've come back. Then at the same time, Jesus hears as they all come back that John the Baptist has just been beheaded. Jesus himself has been involved in a lot of ministry. He's now starting to get a lot of persecution as well. And so he says, come with me yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Does that sound good to you, all our rowboat people out there? Come with me, come with Jesus to a quiet place and get some rest. So what's happening just behind me? Is there any rest happening? It's interesting, isn't it? Because Jesus has said, come with me and get some rest. The first thing that happens when they get to the other side, everyone finds them, 15,000 people. Poor old, I think Ben, you were saying Camille, you know, needs a bit of time to herself as well, even though she's probably an extrovert. 15,000 people, and now they're ministering, they're feeding, and it goes on all day. And then Jesus says, come with me and get some rest. 
Start rowing, guys. <laughs> and they row. They row. So what I, wanna, what I want you to do is just say, well, where's the rest here? Where's the rest? Because when I came to this story, I didn't really expect to have to deal with rest, but I always try to anchor myself to the text. And the text is clearly saying, come with me and get some rest. That's what it's all about in Mark 6. Come with me and get some rest. Now, when you think about rest, what do you think about? You think of sort of, I don't know, times by the ocean, just walking quietly, you know, a bit of me time, recharging. Is that, yeah, that's what I think of. Absolutely. So let's see if that happens. But today, if you remember nothing else, I want you to remember these two things. Rest and paradoxically, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. A steadfast spirit. Oh, is he all right? Yeah. All right. So they've headed over. Once they get over there, what happens is the big large crowd comes across and we're told in Mark that Jesus had compassion on them. He sees them. He he just goes, I'm going to preach. I'm going to serve. I'm going to minister. I'm going to heal. I'm going to feed them. That's all over. Now, how you going, Paxton? Can you read the numbers off for us again? Nine, you've nearly rode 1,000 metres. One kilometre. So imagine if you're at, it's probably like almost the size of maybe Morton Bay. You'd be worried, wouldn't you, if Paxton was by himself now a kilometre offshore. <laughs> so the disciples, a kilometre offshore. So... In uh, Matthew 14, like I said, he dismisses the crowd, now up to 23. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, when you put all the three gospel accounts together, you find some really interesting stuff going on. And what you actually need to do is you need to do a little bit of kind of trip planning as well as theology today. So if you've got 11 kilometre wide or 10 or 11 kilometre wide lake, and we know from the three different gospel accounts that it's the fourth watch of the night when Jesus comes to them. But Mark says that at evening Jesus looks and he could see that they were halfway across. So they've actually gone 5Ks relatively quickly, and you probably row about the same uh, velocity that you walk at about five kilometres per hour. So it's taken them an hour to get to the middle of the lake. But when we put all the gospel accounts together, what we see is by the fourth watch of the night, which does anyone know what time that is? It's a Roman reckoning of time. It's at least 3 a.m. So we've gone from 6 p.m. the evening to 3 a.m. So Paxton, you've got another nine hours of rowing. So let's pretend you're in the middle of the lake, mate. You're in the middle of the lake. How are you going to go another nine hours? That's dinner time. Actually, no, that's even... That's bedtime. How are you feeling? What are we up to? Oh, nice. Eight, nine, four, two. Very good. Now, at this point here, if you're a disciple, we'll put ourselves there. Jesus has told you, come with me and get some rest. You've rowed, row, row, row. You've made great progress. You're halfway across. You think, oh, this is good. This is good. Now you're in the middle of the lake and literally, literally for six to nine hours, you are on a row mill. It's like a treadmill, but a row mill. It's like, we are not going anywhere. The wind's against us and we're just doing it. And now it's starting to get a bit stormy. The boat's getting buffeted. I don't know, like, but do you feel like that in life sometimes? You're just like, man, what is the point of this? Row, row, row. <laughs> row, row, row your boat merrily. It's not even merrily down the stream. It's with a great deal of hardship into a headwind. <laughs> row, rowing together. And you think to yourself, 
well, Jesus has sent me out here. Jesus said, get in and go. What, what on earth is going on there? What on earth is going on? How you going, Paxton? So at this point, at this point, you might go, look, guys, we're not getting anywhere. Thomas, I don't think you are putting in, mate. <laughs> you know, we might start to blame each other, right? We might go, what? And maybe some people were slacking off, I don't know. But you might then go, well, technique. How's that technique going? Oh, getting tired, technique goes out the window. You know, Tiff's a sports specialist. She knows what happens when you get tired. Your technique tends to go out the window. So you might start going, oh, technique. And it's a bit of a metaphor, isn't it? Because it's like in life. It's all of a sudden you start looking around each other and going, well, what, what can we do here? And that's a good thing. Like, I think we should be curious about how we can do things better. But is that the only thing as Christians we should be doing? Just looking to each other, maybe getting angry at each other, maybe looking to the latest book. Maybe look into the latest blog, another podcast. Let's see what happens here. In verse 24, we're told the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves. Now, Paxton, something exciting is about to happen, mate. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. In Mark, we're told, he saw the disciples straining at the oars. Are you straining yet, Paxton? Say yes. You look like you're straining. About the fourth night of the watch... Oh, sorry, where am I? Uh, He saw the disciples straining against them, and he says the same thing. But he also says this really interesting thing. Mark also says this really interesting thing. He was about to pass by them. So, Jesus... Now, remember, wind, headwind, boats being buffeted, big waves... So we've talked about this in the past, haven't we? Jesus is not like tiptoeing. He's not tiptoeing on the water. Um, he's not just sort of, you know, I don't know, I'll show you some stuff on, online here that I found in a minute. He's ploughing through those waves. He's ploughing through those waves. Now, I'm going to read you some verses. And we think about this idea of, uh, of where Mark tells us he was about to pass by. And we go, what is that about? Why would he be about to pass them by? Now, it says in the other gospel accounts that he went to them. So he definitely went within eye shot. And he's just, what would you think, Paxton? You're in a big kind of a bit of a storm and you just see Jesus walking by. Keep rowing, mate. Keep rowing. Okay, good stuff. See you later. I'm back. <laughs> so he, he walks. It, it reminds me. Does it remind you of something in the Old Testament? Is there some other time where God's going to reveal himself in a magnificent way and he says, you know what? You, whoever this person is, are not going to see me in all my glory. You're just going to see my afterglow. You're just going to see my, the back of me. Does it sort of remind you of that? Now, here's some verses for you. And let's do our Bible trivia. Let's see how good you know your Bible. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Oh, you? <laughs> Oh, did I put that up there? Yes. High five. Thanks. All right. Next question. Who is the he? Who is that? It's God. He's talking about God. In Habakkuk, we're told that you, who's you, trampled the sea with all your horses. Who is that? God. In Psalm 77, 19, your path led through the sea your way through the waters and your footsteps were not seen. Who's that? 
God. So in the Old Testament, in the disciples' mind, you know, we've all got used to this passage, but in the Old Testament, in the disciples' mind, the only person who plows his way through an ocean or a big body of water is who? God. So when it says in Mark, about to pass by, I really believe Mark wants to point out that Jesus is about to do this awesome revelation. He's already fed them all. And later on, Mark says, why are your heart so hard? You just, don't, you just don't get this, do you? This is Jesus saying. And so I believe Jesus is plowing his way through the water. What's supposed to happen is they're supposed to go, wow, it's Jesus, it's God. Awesome, tick. <laughs> Maybe you get in the boat after. Instead, what do they do? It's a ghost. It's a ghost. Now, before we go to it's a ghost... I thought I'd do a quick internet search with you because I'm always interested in the way images on Google Images show this. And this is what I mean. It's like tiptoeing through the tulips kind of stuff. It's like, you know, and like there's some, there's a bit of storm and kind of stuff, but most of it's this nice placid water and Jesus is just doing these ones, you know, like, and it's just, ah, oh, it's pathetic. And this one, this was so pathetic. I wouldn't serve, like, who'd want to serve Jesus like, no, no, this is Jesus plowing through the waters like Yahweh. Like the Old Testament God. Not, what about this one? <laughs> you know, and look, it, it's kind of quite telling, isn't it? It's quite telling about how we come to the Bible and then how we allow our perceptions to shape the Bible. No, no, no. This is a very rugged, watery, intense picture of Jesus plowing his way. And he's for, so for, he probably walked like for five kilometers to get out to them for a start. We had to. It's a powerful picture. How you going, mate? Oh, sorry, I forgot about you. You doing all right? Oh, you... Now, you, you can actually stop now if you like. You want to keep... Good, good. Oh, hang on. We'll miss out on... Um, some... oh, wait a minute. Um, that's right. Sorry, I'm, I'm about to finish up. Well, for, with Paston. Anyway, so it's not, uh, it's not that. Yeah, but absolutely. What do they do? Instead of going, Jesus, Yahweh, God, they go, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. <laughs> Later on, Mark rebukes them. Like, or he records that Jesus, um, not well, yeah, Mark actually says uh, they didn't believe because their hearts were hard. And I think we really need to, you know, if we're after rest and steadfastness, we need to go, well, how do I see Jesus? Is he just like this ghost? Like just a, I don't know, sort of almost a figment of my imagination, just that barest outline without the substance. And if nothing else from today, if we would go away with a yearning for the substance and the presence of Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. This is so interesting. In 1427, Matthew 14, verse 27, Jesus immediately said to him, so remember, he's about to pass by. It's a ghost. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. What have you got in your version? You've got the ESV, don't you, Ben? Uh, Matthew 14, 27. Oh, so you weren't with me in my part. (laughs) So we are flip-flopping between Mark and Matthew, but we'll stay in Matthew for now. It is I. I. So scholars have noted that that it is I is another I am. That's why I put up there, take courage, I am, which is the old Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. Take courage, I am. And suddenly something changes for Peter. But before we go there, today, if you remember nothing else, remember rest and remember steadfast. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Peter says in 28 from Matthew 14, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. So everyone else has gone, it's a ghost. Jesus has spoken. Peter's gone, well, if it's you, call to me and I'll come to you. So you can jump off now, Paxton. Yeah, 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 we'll we'll jump off because thank you, Bo. Awesome job, awesome job. Because now you've got Sunday school. High five, by the way. Reet, give us a final, give us a final count. Reet, read the numbers off. Last set. I'm impressed. Eight, five, zero, six. So you have managed to get one and a half kilometres offshore. Well done, mate. Do you want to go to Sunday school now? <laughs> no. And I'll pray for you guys too as you go out. Father, thanks heaps for our Sunday schoolers and for Tiff and just really encourage them, Lord, that they too would see the substance of you, not just the ghostly outline. And only you can do that, Lord. Bring it to them and may they open up their hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So just, just now imagine the scene. There's big waves, the boat's being tossed about and then you see this figure and then Peter goes, tell me to come to you on the water. And you know, many times... This passage in the past has been almost this failure of faith parable or or, or story. When in fact, I tip my hat to Peter. Because how many of you in the boat would have gone, it's Jesus, call to me and I'll come to you. (laughs) If you're like, no, he can come to me. I'll just stay here. And instead, Peter goes, call to me. I don't know what he's thinking, but... Peter gets very excited at times and you've got to respect the passion of the guy because now he's seeing his Lord come to him over deep water and whatever fear he has in that moment, in that moment, the the magnificence of Jesus, the Yahweh of the God of the Old Testament, maybe all the images are rushing into it. It's like, how can this be? This is God. Call, Call to me. Call to me, Jesus, and I'll come to you. All of a sudden, it's all there. And in that moment... He is full of faith. He is full of dependence. He is inspired. His allegiance is to Jesus, not to the sphere that's promoted by perhaps the waves or even thinking he saw a ghost. And so um, Jesus says, come. And and that's why I think the picture that I had with a slight wry grin. It's almost like, you know, Jesus is fully God, fully man. It's almost like in his fully manness, there's this bit of surprise. It's like, oh, (laughs) Peter's going to come to him. Well, come. Come. Now, I know he's fully God and he's omniscient, but in that moment, experiencing life as a man, it's like, come. So what does, Je- what does Peter do? Steps out. And there's one step. There's maybe even two. Three. <laughs> it's amazing. I am walking to my Lord. He has walked out to me. In the middle of this ocean, I was rowing. I thought we were going to have rest. I was rowing, rowing, rowing. But wow, this is way better than any seaside holiday or lakeside holiday, whatever the case might be. This is awesome. And isn't it interesting that Tim brought to us that word awe because it is awe-inspiring. It is awesome. We use the word all the time these days, but... When it's truly awesome, you know it's awesome. It's enough to make you walk on water. It's enough to you, for you to step out in amazing ways, to put aside the techniques, to put aside looking at the other rowers, 
to put aside the, the, the self-help books and so forth and to go, wow, I'm coming to you. Jesus, Peter, poised. But then in, 29, uh, sorry, in verse 30, but when Peter saw the wind, how did he see the wind? He didn't actually see the wind. He saw the effects of the wind. He saw the waves. And it's been said many times so well in so many sermons. He took his eyes off Jesus. The awesomeness factor started to go down. The fear factor started to come up. His allegiance to Jesus over his allegiance to fear started to waver. And he started to sink. But even in his sinking, even in his supposed failure, he cries out to the one he knows can save him through his doubt and his lack of faith. And Jesus reaches up and just pulls him up. There's that awesome picture. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And you might go, oh, what is, what is, what is Jesus going to say now to him? What would you say to Peter in that moment? We know what happens next, but what, what would you say to Peter? I mean, if you're one of the other disciples and he gets back into the boat, like, what would you say to him? I'd be saying, mate, that was a good try. <laughs> That's impressive. Fire out. Like, A for effort. A plus for effort. I didn't even think of that. But it's not really what we think or what the disciples think. And we should always go back to what Jesus thinks because Jesus says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? In the last Deep Water series, our sermon, we said, doubt is, we said, what's the opposite of faith? Many of us said doubt, but I hope that I sort of led us more towards a biblical opposite of faith, which is, do you remember? Oh, no. <laughs> I've preached for nothing. Fear. Fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. Because you can have all sorts of doubts and still, and be a, and, and still go, no, I'm, I'm going to follow you. I don't get all of it, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to pledge my allegiance, because that's what faith is, pledging your allegiance to someone. It is also trust and dependence, but it's never less than pledging your allegiance. So I'm going to follow you no matter what, even despite my doubts. But when fear becomes bigger than that allegiance and we follow our fear, so we stay in the boat or we don't go out in the first place or we just don't follow Jesus, that is when we are faithless. That is when we are no longer practicing followership. When Jesus says here, why did you doubt? It's from this word of a person standing at a crossroads and going, I don't know which way to go. And you kind of go, oh, no, okay, oh, no. So it's not maybe uh, intellectual doubt. It's actually, I know I should follow you, but I'm being pulled in this direction and I'm really struggling. But the person who wants to follow Jesus even though they're wavering, will walk, will step out and will follow him. They will not allow fear to predominate. And I'm so glad that Jesus got our back because even if you completely stuff it up and you start sinking and you cry out to God, he's going to pull you up. You know, many of us get trapped with our decision making. It's like, what does God want me to do? Does he want me to do this? Does he want me to do that? Many times I know Kerry and I have found it so helpful to go, you know what, even if I've got this wrong, there's Jesus. And we just pray, Lord, if we've got this wrong, we feel like we're stepping out in faith or we feel like we're being called to this. I don't know. There's a lot of risk, but I'm going with you. You're going to have our back. You're going to, you're going to pull us up. Anyway, now what's interesting is in this idea of rest is you see what happens next. 
in verse 32. When they climbed into the boat, the wind dies down. Maybe now they'll get some rest. So think about it. Come, to, come with me, have some rest. He, a whole day of ministry, a whole night of rowing. Peter's nearly drowned. This is not my idea of a good holiday. What are you doing, Jesus? I would much rather be at Marimbula in a nice hotel. And yet, Jesus is not... Like, now remember, we can't, we can't get away from him. He said, come with me and have some rest. He's the son of God, right? So he said, he intends for them to have some rest. So maybe we have to get curious about how we see rest. Because now you think they're going to have rest when all this is over. Maybe now they're going to have... Instead, as it says in verse 34, when they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And they're actually going to Bethsaida, so they've ended up not where they intended. And when the men of that place recognise Jesus, the whole cycle plays out again. All these people come. So it's, they've been going all night. Now, some of these disciples have their cranky pants on by now, wouldn't they? Because they probably haven't eaten, so they're angry. And they're tired. And now it's another day of ministry. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Well, thank you. Where's my rest? Where's my lakeside retreat? It just hasn't happened. Now, in all seriousness, this has been quite a tough week for me because... I was really getting down. I mean, I, didn't, I had to work all last weekend. Then I had a whole bunch of stuff going on this week. And sometimes I feel like because there's so much, if I showed you my little uh, app that I use to monitor all the things, I can scroll for quite a long time of all the things I have to do and the things I have done as a part of my job and as a part of being you know, a pastor of this church and so forth. And it was getting me down. It was, man, it was getting me down. And I was like, rest, rest, rest. I need rest. And then I didn't even want to prepare this sermon because, and I nearly said, let's just go for the sharing option because I was so tired. But then I read the passage and all of a sudden I really began to feel Jesus minister to me. And it was in this paradoxical kind of expectation of rest, meaning a lakeside holiday and instead finding nothing but activity, intense activity. And thinking to myself, I could go a number of ways with the sermon today. I could talk about how, you know, we do waste a lot of time with TV and maybe we need to look at that. And I think we do need to look at that. And maybe some of us really do need rest. But I didn't feel Jesus at all giving me that option. The option was, think about this. There may be other ways to experience rest, which is short for restoration. There may be other ways. We are all going, we're so busy. Everyone's saying they're so busy. You talk to anyone, it's almost like a, I don't know, it's just a mantra of our age. I'm busy, busy. I try not to even say it anymore. I know I'm busy, but I just don't even want to say it anymore. It just sounds so cliched. And we're all saying, you know, it's, it's actually tying in as well to a whole bunch of materialism. It's like, come and have this lovely holiday. I mean, there's more people traveling now than ever before. And again, I'm not saying anything wrong with travel. Travel is a beautiful thing. But what I am saying is God here, Jesus here, is calling us to, I believe, rethink, reimagine how we might be restored, how we might experience rest, restoration. Nine hours of rowing, six hours at zero progress through the night, a near drowning, then people everywhere, people needing serving, people needing preaching, people needing ministering to. You know, these people are desperate people that need help. The start of the deep water story, the middle of the deep water story, and the end of the deep water story is activity, 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 ministry, ministry, ministry. And there's no sign in the scriptures that 
there was any lakeside retreat. Now, we know in other places in the scriptures, Jesus certainly takes them away. The Garden of Gethsemane was a place where they went for quiet. So I'm not saying that we don't need that. What I'm saying is many times that's probably not the problem. Many times the problem, I think, and what we see in this passage is is where we get that restoration from. Because there's actually two ways to think about rest. So you can think about, say, energy that's required by a situation and energy that you've got available for the situation. So energy that's required and energy that's available. So maybe you've got a small business, a lot of energy required. Maybe you're a safety manager and a pilot, a lot of energy required. You, in your physicality, in your physiology, have a certain amount of energy available. So if the energy available is less than the energy required, you are tired, you are fatigued, you are weary. But think about this for a minute. You can therefore reduce the energy that's required. So in your small business, you could shut the business down or you could um, yeah, shut a few other businesses down or you could just not work on particular days. Or for me as a safety manager, you could not work on particular days. You're reducing the energy required. Well, exactly. You might get away for a while, you know, talk to Barb. She's pretty good at doing that kind of thing. But that's one side. But do you see what I'm saying? That's just one side. There's another side. Do you see what the other side is? It's just physics. So if we can't reduce the energy required, what can we do? Increase the energy available. This is what happens here. (laughs) They're tired. They're worn out. They've already been doing all this ministry. Jesus is probably worn out. And instead, when all this stuff starts to happen, I believe that they get more energy. They get more kingdom energy. And I'm not saying that we all need to run around and start doing heaps and heaps of more stuff. But I just want to... I just want to ask the same question that Tim asked at the, start, at the start. Where's your inspiration coming from? Where is the awe in awesome coming from? And what can we do to see the substance of Jesus? What can we do? Like, and it's so interesting in the futility, in the futility of, of them rowing. It's not like while they're on a holy pilgrimage or anything. Jesus comes to them in the midst of this futile hour after hour just rowing. And I wonder if there's a way he would come to us as well. In our futility, you know, being a mum, you talked about that, just the day in, day out stuff, our jobs, the day in, day out. I really believe that God would want us at least to equate rest and restoration to the possibility that he will empower us with kingdom energy, that his Holy Spirit will rush upon us like, like Tim said before. I've seen that happen in my life. And again, that does not discount the fact that we need rest and recuperation and times where we are inactive in a sense. But even that kind of rest in the Bible is still accepting and acknowledging what God has done. But I also want us to continue to keep in the back of our minds this idea that where's our inspiration coming from? Where's it coming from? Um, Jesus was the one that made them get into the boat. Jesus was the one that told them, come with me and rest. Jesus was the one that told them to row out. So today, when we think about rest, I want you to, for us as a church, is go, what, 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 what is it that inspires your kingdom energy? I believe it's kingdom glory, kingdom presence, kingdom power, and that all comes from the king. And I don't just want to say to you, go and do more devotionals, although some of you need to. And I don't want to say to you, some of you do need to go on a retreat. Or maybe some do, I don't know. But I just want us to ask, in our sort of heart, deep down in our hearts, is Lord, would you please 
Show me what it means to be inspired like these disciples were inspired. In the middle of the lake, with a headwind, in the deep water, maybe instead of just praying for that kind of rest, we could pray now for kingdom presence, kingdom power, kingdom glory, for the king to come by, change course, grab us, inspire us. That's what I want. That's why this prayer became really important to me, created me a pure heart, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Faith always goes with hope because faith needs to be inspired. We see this in 1 Thessalonians where Paul says, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance or your steadfastness inspired by hope. Hope. You know, these disciples that changed the world in their little catalogue of inspirational moments is this one. We know then it would lead to the cross where they would see Yahweh emerge, Jesus emerge from the tomb. What could be more inspiring than that? And no matter how we feel, no matter how bored we are now, that is a historical reality. It is as true 2,000 years ago for these disciples who then went and changed the world. We're going to see more about Peter later on in the sermon series. It is true then as it is for us today. And this is my prayer. This is my prayer. That, that our work would be produced by faith. That our labour would be prompted by love. That our endurance would be inspired by our hope in our Lord Jesus Christ who ploughed his way through five kilometres of water, changed course, called to Peter. Peter went... Um, Lifted Peter up, straight back across, more ministry, more service, died on a cross horribly, emerged out of that tomb, and right now, now sends his Holy Spirit to minister to us, because I think that's what makes us steadfast. And I pray that we would be a steadfast church. And that's why today, if you remember nothing else, remember rest. And remember, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. I want to finish off with this letter from John Smith. Did anyone get a chance to actually read it online? You know, we see a lot of people, I do see a lot of people over in the States now that, you know, they have this more missional sort of mindset and they're a bit in your face and they're, you know, the social justice warriors, which I really respect, I love them. But we had our own. I'd forgotten about John Smith. I mean, he would come into a church and basically rebuke, correct but then really in a, in a loving kind of way and a deep-felted way, deep-felt way, inspire people. He was friends with Bono from U2. You know, I got to hang out with him for a, for a day or so, and it was really great. But, so he wrote this letter just before he died. He's had cancer, even back when I met him in the mid-2000s, he had cancer still, and he battled cancer for 19 years. And I just wanted to finish this off because whilst we need rest... There is kingdom work to be done. And what I get the feeling of is as the days grow darker, is we're going to continually feel that we're oppressed and we're that rowboat not going anywhere. And yet I believe that God wants us to man up. Be smart about your rest, but be smart about where your inspiration's coming from. Let me read this letter to finish off with, and then we'll go into communion. I've been battling cancer for almost 19 years. This is John Smith. So this, this article is very interesting because it was, um, it was the 100th edition of Eternity magazine and 
they just published it not knowing that he was going to die that month. So it actually came out the same time. I've been battling cancer for almost 19 years. Eventually, this has meant chemical castration, radiation therapy, and becoming almost unrecognisable after losing my customary long hair and beard. But by God's grace, I'm still alive, contrary to medical expectations, and determined to keep on doing my best to be useful. Here, I want to share reflections arising out of my struggle with cancer. So think about that. When you think about how many times he must have gone, I'm just like taking it a day at a time. What is this all about? And yet here he is, still inspired by the Holy Spirit to serve a church that he doesn't even know, us and many others, through this letter and many other uh, occasions of ministry. I've been thinking about the cancer cells themselves. So in our mission statement, we've got, we are here to what? Love serve and grow. So let's think about growth for a minute. I've been thinking about the cancer cells themselves and what they're doing to me. As I understand it, virtually all normal cells in your body die and are replaced continuously by another generation with some changes as we age. But cancer cells don't have a use-by date. They just keep on dividing and growing. Each new cell produces and spawns more cancer cells and so on. In the end, unless the good Lord grants a miracle, a possibility I do not discount, it is inevitable that these cells will take me out and take me to a better place. So growth can be healthy or unhealthy in physical terms. So just think about your growth. Think about what I've told you, what's inspiring you. Think about your personal growth as a Christian, the kingdom growth around you that God's called you to, the church. And think about these words. If you build your church on a distortion, if you build your life on a distortion or a contradiction of what Jesus taught, what are you growing? Is it healthy growth? Or is it a cancerous growth that will threaten the spiritual life of you and your church? I hear of some churches who rely on secular selection criteria such as education, age, physical attractiveness when making appointments, while neglecting spiritual aspects of the process. I know a very fine musician who offered to be part of the worship band at a large church. He was turned away because he was overweight and didn't project the right image. Did this man's deep longing to use his musical gifts to honour God and lead people to Jesus count for nothing? Elsewhere, a musician failed an age limit test. She was over 35. Throughout history, now li- listen to this. This is for our little church. Look, look at you. Look, look. look at you beautiful people. Well, just look at you. You know, you know G- Jesus would come for you as well in that boat. He is coming for you. When you sink down into the waters of death, you, maybe that's what it'll look like, except heaps more glorious a million times more. Than... Throughout history, God has used ordinary people in extraordinary ways to grow his church. They didn't need impressive quals or praise sessions well-crafted for television. They held prayer meetings where they cried out to God, sometimes through the night, until the Spirit fell. That passion and willingness to follow the promptness promptings of the spirit whatever the personal cost is at the heart of healthy church growth let me say that again the passion and willingness to follow the promptings of the spirit whatever the personal cost is the heart of healthy church growth now ben and i on monday went to a meeting of pastors the first half let me say let me be frank was a bunch of structural kind of stuff which i think is highly essential and important the second part was simply this what is god saying to you and what are you doing about it what is God saying to you, Bob, Alan, Kat, Joe, GJ, Kerry, Jenny, Rick, Nadine, Sarge, Farah, Jen, Tim, Becky, 
Camille, Ben, Jace, Hannah, and people that can't be with us today. What is God saying to you and what are you doing about it? What is God? I mean, really, it really struck me. The passion and willingness to follow the promptings of the Spirit, whatever the personal cost, is at the heart of healthy, growth, healthy church growth. A focus on sleek marketing, professional performances, and trendy church buildings may attract a crowd, but it's not necessarily healthy growth. You know, like, I really I have been so torn by this. It'd be like if we had, I went over there this morning, if we had an awesome band, and, you know, we had all these resources, it, it's such a temptation for a church leader. But is that necessarily healthy growth, mate? For the church, as for cancer, the key question is not how fast you're growing, but what you're growing. Whatever the size of a church, is it reflecting what Jesus taught? He shed his blood not only for us, but also for the church itself, so that it might be like a pure bride walking morally and ethically in goodness and integrity of Jesus himself. Again, we so need not the ghostly outline of Jesus. We need the substance of Jesus. His very heart beating within our heart. I sometimes wonder whether despite great growth of the so-called great Christian movements, we may be observing in this age a departure from New Testament faith more dangerous than any time since the time of the Reformation when house cleaning was required because widespread worldliness had undermined the teaching and practices so clearly demanded by Jesus and his apostolic disciples. As far as I know, they are the last public words of John Smith. So what I would like us to do and think about over the next week or so is what is God saying to us as a church and what are we going to do about it? What's he saying to us as individuals? The word that came to me in the midst of this week's preparation and a bit of hardship of the soul was steadfast. Steadfast. What will steadfastness look like? You know, the world so needs, so needs this message. Everywhere I go, people that are getting older seem to be getting, in many ways, crankier and more caught up in themselves. Everywhere I go, whether it's work or you know, people that I know indirectly, there's no hope in them anymore. There's no inspiration. If they do have some idea of who God is, it's just this ghostly outline, a story from the past, not as the disciples with the wind in their face and, and the blisters on their hands and the, and, and the spray in their faces and then, the, and then the glorious Lord Jesus walking towards them. But it wasn't like a glow, like we saw now. It was just a man just plowing through the water. Oh, we need that, don't we? So I'm going to pray for that and I really want you to pray for it as well. And then we're going to go into communion. This went way longer than what I thought. I blame Paxton. It took a lot longer than what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> nah, he did really well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you won't leave us. You, you, even in the futility of row, 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 there you are to do something pretty magnificent. And I believe you could do that in the lives of these precious saints here. You could really do something special. Lord, I just pray they'd never give up on that. Till the dying day, they won't give up on that great hope. Please, Lord, invigorate and inspire and encourage our hearts. 
And as we think about communion, and as we think about what that represents, the ultimate, the ultimate trek across troubled, stormy waters into the depths of death for us. Amazing. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus. And as we remember you now, bring the transformation, bring the hope, bring the faith, bring the love that this church desperately needs. And we pray again for those that would want to find a place where they too can experience the substance, kingdom presence, the kingdom power. Oh Lord, that you'd bring them to this church and we'd be able to minister one to another. And for those that don't even know you, Lord, that we'd be willing to reach out. We'd be willing to minister to them and serve them. Help me this week to do that well. And all of my brothers and sisters here, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I do apologise for going a little bit too long. I would encourage you now, just maybe take a few moments in the quiet to think about what we've said and to think about what it is to be steadfast, what it is to be restored, maybe some patterns of life that need to change for you. Maybe you do need to cut away some things. Maybe you just need to bring more structure. Maybe you have not been getting your energy from the Lord Jesus. You've been getting it from other things and now it's running dry as it always will. You need to rethink, well, where do I get my inspiration from? Where do I get my energy from? It's not Twitter. It's not Facebook. It's not games. They don't give you the spiritual energy that you need. It's not just about stopping your, your work. Rest is about being inspired by Jesus. So think about that as you come to this table, because this is a table of the king. It's a table of the one that came for us. And you shouldn't come to it with any sort of pretenses. You should just come open. And so open yourself up now to the Lord, orientate on him and listen to him. And we'll just stay quiet for about a, a minute and then I'll pray and then I'll invite you to come forward to take the bread and we'll hold the cup.